You are listening to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Sevierville, where our mission is helping people move from their point of need to hope in Christ. For more information about our church, head on over to severe.church. Today's sermon, A Man in the Synagogue, is part two in the series, One-on-One with Jesus, shared by Senior Pastor Dan Spencer. Well, good morning. It's been a sweet time already today in this service, uh, being able to uh, see some uh, lives change, see some people follow the Lord in baptism, and uh, then to sing praises to the Lord together. It's good that we're here, and I thank you so much for uh, letting me be your pastor, and I want to invite you today to go to Mark chapter 3 in your Bible. Will you please find Mark chapter 3? In a minute, we're going to read the first six verses of Mark chapter 3. And let me begin in this way. When Jesus Christ came into the world, he did not come as a rich man living in luxury. Although he was the son of God, he was not born into wealth or social influence. He did not seek out the powerful and the popular to be his friends. And yet, everybody wanted to be around Jesus. It was amazing. Jesus had a a holy charisma about him, a, a, a supernatural appeal so that people were drawn to him like steel to a magnet. Jesus had the ability to draw enormous crowds In Mark chapter 2 and verse 2, the Bible says that when they heard Jesus was in the house in Capernaum, uh, so many people came that they overflowed the house. Nobody could get in. In chapter 3 and verse 7, the Bible says that uh, great multitudes came from all over Galilee and Jerusalem in order to come and to hear Jesus. Everybody wanted to be around Jesus. They wanted to see him. They wanted to touch him. They wanted to hear what he had to say. And so he had the ability to draw these amazing crowds. And yet, over and over again in the Bible, we see Jesus turning away from the crowds in order to focus on one person. And I just love that about him. That in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, around 50 times, we see Jesus taking the time to minister to an individual one-on-one. I've chosen nine of these one-on-one meetings Jesus had with people uh, for uh, each of the nine Sundays from uh, in February and March, including Easter Sunday. And I'm praying that God does two things for us as we look at all of these. Uh, One is that he would teach us the compassion of Jesus for people. And that we would love Jesus more because of what we see. And that we'll learn from him to be more compassionate and open-hearted toward people. And then I'm just praying that through this, the Lord would teach us to follow the example of Jesus. And, and notice and reach out to the ones who are around us, people who are far from God but close to us, that we can 
pay attention to and pray for and share the gospel with them in hopes that they'll be saved. Today we're going to read about another one-on-one that Jesus had. This time it's in a crowded room where Jesus focuses on one man in the synagogue. And so let's read it uh, beginning in Mark 3 verse 1. The Bible says, and he entered the synagogue again. And a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely. Now, the they there is the Pharisees and some of the scribes. These were the uh, leading Jewish authorities, the most prominent Jewish uh, holy men. And they were there in the synagogue, but let me tell you, they were not there to worship. They were there for another purpose. It says, so they watched him closely, whether he would heal him, that is the man with the withered hand, on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he, Jesus, said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, that is the Pharisees, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. They had no answer. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, and now it's just one-on-one with Jesus here. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. An amazing miracle. Then the Pharisees went out, they couldn't be happy about it, and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Now, if you're taking notes today or you're on the app or you've got a, got a handout and you're trying to follow along, I'm not going to get to that stuff until the very end, okay? So relax. Let's talk through this story. I think we really need to do this to understand it. And I want to make sure that we all know who's who in this scene in Mark chapter 3. And so let's begin first with Jesus. Jesus, now... This fact is lost on many who were in attendance that day. They just knew that Jesus was amazing. He did amazing things. All these miracles, the way that he spoke, they'd never heard anybody speak before. And they may not have been exactly sure who he was, but they knew we've got to be around Jesus. And so here is Jesus, the Son of God, the promised Messiah, who has come into the world for this purpose, to set right what sin has made wrong. And, and so we see that in this scene. He, he confronts the, uh, the corrupt theology of the Pharisees in order to correct it. He, he shuts down their evil attitudes and, and motives. And he heals the physical and emotional suffering of this man with the withered hand. And so you see, Jesus is doing what he came to do. He he came to reverse the curse of sin, to overcome evil, and ultimately to make sinners righteous before God and to restore all that sin has broken. And so here is Jesus standing there in the synagogue. 
And then uh, around the synagogue are all of these men in fancy robes, religious robes, given the best seats in the house because they are the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, make no mistake about it, absolutely hated Jesus. They hated him. Now, the question is, why did they hate Jesus so much? Because they, they had come to the synagogue on the Sabbath day not to worship, but rather to try to trap Jesus so that they could accuse him and destroy him. That's why they were there. Why did they hate Jesus so much? Everybody else seemed to love him. Everybody wanted to be around him. They wanted to hear him. Why did the Pharisees hate Jesus so much? Well, I can tell you it was not because he healed people who were sick and fed people who were hungry and delivered people from the control of demons. That's not why they hated him. And they didn't hate Jesus because sometimes he completely ruined a funeral by raising the dead person to life. They didn't hate him for that. The reason the Pharisees hated Jesus so much is because of what he taught. The message of Jesus was that salvation was not available by human effort or human works. In other words, Jesus taught you can't earn God's favor. You can't earn his love. You can't earn his salvation. No matter how many good things you do, no matter how many bad things you avoid doing, no matter how many services you attend or how many scriptures you memorize, no no matter how many rules you keep, salvation does not come by your effort or because of your worthiness. It only comes by the grace of God through faith. But the religion of the Pharisees was the exact opposite. They taught that you had to earn your spiritual status. What they taught was the more good things you could do and the more bad things you could avoid meant that God would like you more and that if you kept all of these rules and did all of these things and jumped through all of these spiritual hoops, that you could please God with that and that you could end up, if you were good enough, putting God in a position of being indebted to you so that he would owe you his love and owe you salvation. And when it came to that, the Pharisees saw themselves as the best of the best. And they made sure everybody knew it. They were just eaten up with spiritual pride. But, but here comes Jesus, and Jesus teaches, no, that's not how it works. Not at all. You have to humble yourself and confess your unworthiness before God and repent of your sin, and God saves you by his grace, not by your effort. And so can you see that Jesus' message was in direct opposition to the Pharisees and their pride, and because of that, they hated him. They hated the fact that Jesus confronted them at the point of their spiritual pride and exposed them as being empty shells with nothing on the inside. And and he exposed them as hypocrites. And in Mark chapter 3 and verse 1, we find that Jesus 
is in the synagogue and they are all there in their fancy robes with all of their pride and Jesus exposes their pride by intentionally violating the Sabbath day regulations that the Pharisees made sure everybody adhered to. And we need to talk about that because the Sabbath day regulations, well, this was a major part of the system of the Pharisees. It was a primary way that they kept the people living in guilt and in fear. Uh, So we need to talk about the Sabbath for a few minutes. Now, the Sabbath was instituted by God. If you go back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 3, the Bible says that God rested. Uh, The word is Shabbat. He Sabbathed on the seventh day after creating the world in six days. And the Lord blessed that day. Then when he gave the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, the Lord said, remember the Sabbath, that seventh day, to keep it holy. And and he defined what that meant. He said, work six days. And then when you get to the seventh day, Saturday, don't work on that day. Whatever it is that you do for work, to earn a living, when you come to the seventh day, don't do that thing. The Sabbath was a day for ceasing. That's what the word means, to cease. The Sabbath was a day to cease that work, to rest, seek restoration, and to worship. But through the years, as simple as that was, through the years, the Jewish rabbis, especially the Pharisees, had turned the Sabbath into something that was ridiculous and difficult. And they messed up something good by layering law after law and rule after rule and regulation after regulation on top of what God had said about the Sabbath day. They added all these rules to the point that the people of God didn't look forward to the Sabbath day. They sort of dreaded it because they had to be nervous the whole time. Am I doing something wrong? Am I breaking one of these hundreds of rules? I looked it up. Some of the things that the Pharisees said you could not do on the Sabbath, uh, you could not eat an egg that was laid on the Sabbath day because it represented work on the part of the chicken. For real. You could not take a bath on the Sabbath day because the water might slosh over onto the floor and that meant you'd be cleaning the floor. That's work. And so that was prohibited. You couldn't look in a mirror on the Sabbath day because you might see a gray hair and be tempted to pull it out. That would be work and that was forbidden. Uh, If you became sick on the Sabbath day, you could be treated only enough to keep you alive. They could not treat you enough to make you better because that would be healing. That would be work. You couldn't tie or untie a knot on the Sabbath day. You couldn't light a fire on the Sabbath day. You could not cook on the Sabbath day. And the list went on and on and on. Ridiculous. It became a burden that people couldn't bear. But when Jesus came, look what he says in the last verse of chapter two. He said, but the son of man, that's what he called himself, Jesus said, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And what that meant was when Jesus came, he redefined what the Sabbath meant. 
And since Jesus came, the Sabbath is no longer a rigid 24-hour period of rest from our work with a bunch of rules attached to it. Now, the Sabbath is about trusting that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath and that in Him, we can enter into a constant, never-ending, spiritual rest because He's done all the work for us to be saved when He went to the cross and died for our sins. There's nothing left to do to work for our salvation. Now we can enter into rest so that now... The question about the Sabbath is not when, it's who. The Sabbath is a who. Our Sabbath is the Lord Jesus and the work that he completed for us when he went to the cross. And we can have rest forever. But the Pharisees couldn't accept that because it, it, was, a, it was an assault against their rules. And, and this is where their pride was based and how much better they were than everybody else. And so the Pharisees couldn't accept it. They come to the synagogue on that Sabbath day to see if Jesus was going to heal anyone and break their rules so that they could convict him. Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day to change the life of one man. And so let's meet him. The Bible doesn't give his name. It just says he was a man with a withered hand. The word translated withered here means literally dried up, like a wilted flower, withered away, physically, medically. It, it meant some kind of atrophy, some kind of paralysis, whether it was drawn up or hanging limp at his side, we don't know. We don't know how he got that way. But the wording seems to indicate that it was something he wasn't born with, but something that happened to him. Uh, maybe it was a, a, a stroke that left his hand useless. Maybe it was an injury. Luke's gospel tells us that it was his right hand that was useless. And so however it happened, the fact that it was his right hand meant that this was a devastating problem in his culture. Because in the Jewish mind, the right hand was the hand of worship. The Hebrew, primary Hebrew word for worship is yada, meaning the hand lifted up. It was the hand of worship as if lifting your hand up to God to reach up to heaven, to seek his blessing, to praise his name, to contact the Lord, to sing, symbolize, Lord, I'm... I'm ready to receive from you whatever you have for me. It's the hand of worship. And so this man probably felt out of place in the synagogue when everybody else came to worship. And in his culture, the right hand was the clean hand. It was the hand you would extend for a greeting. It was the hand that you used to eat with. You would never extend your left hand to someone to greet them. Or eat with your left hand, because with your left hand, well, that was your unclean hand. With your left hand, you took care of bodily functions. But this man had to use his left hand for everything. Everything. So, can you see it was more than just a physical disability? It was more than just an inconvenience in his life. This man would, would have been looked at as that pitiful, unclean man with the withered right hand. And 
so he's probably in the back of the synagogue, probably keeps his right hand covered, and the stage is set now for something amazing to happen in his life. As we read it, could you feel the drama of this moment? That here's this man that didn't ask for a healing, but Jesus suddenly calls him out. Hey, step forward. The one guy in the room who didn't want to be noticed locks eyes with the one who notices everything. Jesus said, step forward. And he calls him to come up front. And the Pharisees are watching. And it's a sinister way that they're watching Jesus. And they know that Jesus can heal this guy. And so the man is standing there. Jesus is standing there. The Pharisees are watching. And Jesus speaks to the Pharisees. He asks them a question in verse 4. And it's so wise how he asked it. He said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? And that's a question that they could not answer honestly because to answer honestly would mean they would expose themselves as heartless, wicked hypocrites and they would confirm that Jesus really is the Son of God. And so the Bible says they were just silent. And the room is silent. Everybody knows the Pharisees are embarrassed. And verse 5, verse 5 says that Jesus in that moment just stares at them. And the Bible says he looks at them with anger. Now, for sure, there were other times when Jesus was anger in a righteous, angry in a righteous way. But this is the only time in the Bible that it just says it, that Jesus was angry. And he looks at them with anger, just stares at them. He's angry at the hardness of their hearts. And the Bible then follows that by saying, and he was grieved. He was angry and he was grieved. He's angry and sad at the same time. Have you ever felt that way? He's angry at their unbelief and their pride, but sad because for all their knowledge of Scripture, they didn't have a clue about the love of God. So he's sad and he's mad. And he just lets it hang there as he stares at them. And then Jesus turns to the man. Now it's just Jesus and the man with the withered hand, eye to eye, one on one. And Jesus says to him, stretch out your hand. Something that was impossible for him to do. Jesus told him, do this thing that you can't do. Now, how does that work? He asked him to do something that was impossible for him just to obey his voice and stretch it out. Jesus says, stretch out your hand. 
And more about that in a minute. First of all, uh, let me give you uh, these uh, notes of good news about Jesus. There, there are three things I want to say about the good news about Jesus in this passage that I've been learning this week and they blessed my heart. Uh, number one, it's good news that Jesus is angered by the prideful and hard-hearted, but he is compassionate toward the suffering. That's good news, isn't it? If you're hurting, if you're suffering, if there's something going on in your life that's causing you pain or, or grief, Jesus has compassion on that. Now, he's angered and grieved by the pridefulness and hard-heartedness of the Pharisees, but he's compassionate toward the guy in the room that has this need, and he's suffering. I don't, I don't know if I even need to say this. There are still Pharisees around today. You know that, don't you? There are still Pharisees around today, and Pharisees always look holy on the outside, but their pride blinds them to the needs of others. Hearts become hard and uncaring. The word for hard-hearted that is used here is a word for uh, marble that's hard on its surface. Their hearts were like that. That's what happens to Pharisees. They're so self-absorbed and prideful and, and worried about who's breaking the rules that their hearts become hard and uncaring when there's someone right in front of them who's suffering. You mark it down. The needs around us will always expose and reveal the condition of our hearts. The needs, a suffering person, someone hurting around us, that will always reveal the condition of our hearts. Are we, are we going to be compassionate like Jesus or are we going to be hard-hearted like these Pharisees? The good news today is that Jesus is compassionate toward those who are suffering and those who have needs. Uh, we don't know if, if this guy's injury or whatever was his fault or someone else's. It really doesn't matter, does it? Here's someone who's hurting, and Jesus had compassion and reached out to him. One thing I've been thinking about all week long is this. I cannot allow my heart to become hard like that. Because if I do, then I put myself in opposition to Jesus. I don't want to fight with Jesus. I'm going to lose horribly every time. As a church... We cannot allow uh, our hearts to become hardened toward those who have needs and those who are suffering in our community or we put ourselves in opposition to Jesus. We're going to lose if we do that. We, we, need to, we need to make sure our hearts are aligned with His and that our hearts are tender. A second uh, note of good news here is that Jesus cares more about restoration than He cares about religious rules. Aren't you glad of that? That while the Pharisees went to the synagogue that day looking for violations of the rules, Jesus was looking at a man who needed restoration and Jesus restores. He's more interested in restoration 
than the outward appearance of being holy and a bunch of religious rules. I just like that. Number three, it's good news that Jesus can restore hopelessly damaged things to usefulness. I'm aware that every Sunday sitting in front of me are people who just through the process of life have sustained injuries to their soul. Many of those injuries are self-inflicted. Many of them are caused by the sin of others. And they're carrying around some withered place in their life. Something damaged, something destroyed by sin, a faith maybe that is dry and lifeless and they're powerless to move that thing. God can't do anything with that. It, 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 they, they have no power to move or to change it. And yet, they come to church hoping that something will change, wondering if it ever will. And if that's you, I'm here to tell you today that there is hope for restoration of the withered places in your life. Jesus sees right where you are. You have not escaped his attention today. He sees it all and his specialty is bringing dead things back to life. And his delight is to set right what sin has made wrong and to heal what sin has broken. And if you will trust him, the withered places of your life can be restored. Back to verse 25, Jesus tells the man, stretch it out. Stretch out your hand. And in that moment, the man simply believes and begins to obey. And as he tries, he begins to stretch out his hand. And when he does, something miraculous begins to happen under the authority of Jesus. The blood begins to flow. The nerves begin to fire. Those atrophied muscles are restored in an instant to normal. The fingers begin to move. The strength returns and his hand takes perfect shape and becomes fully functional. As Jesus just works this amazing miracle without even touching him. But it's not just his hand that was restored. Remember, it was his right hand. This is going to change the man's entire life. And Jesus did that. Now, how did it, how did it happen? Remember what Jesus told him? He said, stretch out your hand. Stretch it out. Think about what that meant for this man. It meant Jesus was saying, present to me. That broken, ugly, useless part of your life and trust that I can restore it and make it whole. And he did it. And this is what it means for us. That if it's your marriage, 
if it's your kids, if it's some anxiety, if it's some past regret, if it's past sins, if it's some hurt you're carrying around, that thing you're ashamed of, your impossible problem, that thing that always holds you back, if you will stretch it out to Jesus. In other words, present that broken, ugly, withered, useless part of your life to Jesus and trust that he can restore it and make it whole. If you'll expose it and admit it and confess it and give it to him and trust that Jesus can forgive and heal and restore and make it right, then he can do amazing things to bring that withered part of your life back to usefulness and back to life. And I don't know what that means for you today. But I just want you to hear me saying, stretch it out. Stretch it out. That thing you hide from everybody else, stretch it out to Jesus. Give it to him. And his delight is to make your next season in your life so good that it overshadows the previous season of your life where you lived with that withered place and struggled along. I told you last week we're going to take time every week through Easter to pray about someone who needs Jesus. And we're going to do that right now. Uh, Last week we began to pray, Lord, put somebody on my heart that needs Jesus you, somebody who is close to me but far from you, Lord, and use me to get the gospel to them. Use me to share with them how you can save and how you can restore. And so I want us to do that this morning. Um, I've already been praying for my one um, this week at 1.01 p.m. every day. I set an alarm on my phone just to pray for my one. Let me tell you about an answered prayer this week. I was on the way home about five minutes from my neighborhood, and I just simply prayed, Lord, will you please, I haven't seen this guy in a while, would you please arrange some way for me to just run into them in the neighborhood? And I'm not kidding. Five minutes later, I round the corner, I decided to take the second entrance into my neighborhood for some reason. And, and I saw the guy's wife walking her dog and was able to stop there and have a conversation with her and lay some groundwork to get together with them and, uh, and to see what God will do with that meeting. Five minutes. It's the quickest answered prayer I think I've ever had. Listen, you never know when Jesus is going to step in and do something amazing for someone. Just ask the man with the withered hand. Let's stand together, and I want to ask you to join me in prayer. And we're going to pray for that one person the Lord has put on your heart. You may need to ask him, Lord, who is it for me? Who's somebody that I can make a difference in their life and give them the gospel? And as we pray, I think I need to say this too. Isn't it time 
that you stretch out that withered part of your life to Jesus and trust that he can make it whole and that he can heal and restore? Isn't it time? Let's pray about it. Heavenly Father, I I know that in this room right now, there are a lot of people who have things that they're hiding. They don't want anybody else to see. But Lord, you see everything. You know all about it. You love us anyway. And so Lord, I, I pray that by your grace, that you would help us today to just stretch it out to you, to admit it and expose it to your view, to confess it, whatever it might be, and to just trust you to bring about restoration in that area. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today who's lost in their sins, that today would be the day that they look to you, Lord Jesus. They stretch out their sin, their, all of their failures, their life, and give it to you and trust you as their Lord and their Savior. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross, that in you, because you've already paid it all, we can find rest for our souls from trying to be good enough, from trying to earn your love and just placing our faith in you, we can be saved. Lord, I pray for anyone who's never done that before that right now they would call on you. Lord Jesus, save me. And then Lord, today we pray for the ones that you put on our hearts. I'm going to lift up my one by name along with his wife. And everyone, if you know who that person is, would you just right now call out their name to the Lord? Say, Lord, use me to get the gospel to this person. Use me to reach out to them. Let's just say their name to the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for how you're working in our lives, and we want to be obedient to you. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share. And if you want a pastor to follow up with you regarding today's message, reach out to us at severe.church/slash follow up. Thanks again for joining us on the First Baptist Church Severeville podcast.